You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. If you're thinking about starting an advice column of your own, and a lot of people are, because I hear from them all the time asking for my help and getting their advice columns off the ground, I never respond because I don't want any more competition than I already have. But if you're thinking about starting an advice column of your own, there are two things you need to watch out for, two traps. The first is bias, and you have to acknowledge your bias, and it's not what you think it is. We have a bias in the advice racket toward what I call the solvable problem. You get a lot of mail, a lot of calls all the time, and it's not a problem that can be solved without a time machine, a priest, and a wizard. And you kind of have to set those questions aside without feeling too terribly guilty about them. Sometimes you write those people back personally, but you can't fill your column or your advice podcast with the unsolvable problems. And you get a lot of those. The other trap, the other thing you have to watch out for, is the DTMFA issue. DTMFA stands for dump the motherfucker already. You get so many questions, so many calls from people who, and I'm sure you're familiar with this if you're a longtime listener, will say, my partner is lovely. We are lovely together. Everything is lovely. Then comes the butt. And after the butt comes a horror show. After the butt comes abusive behavior. After the butt comes unacceptable fucking Bullshit. And you have to say to this person, time to dump the motherfucker already. Sometimes people just need that permission. They need to be told they're allowed to dump the motherfucker already. And often you are just seconding what that person heard from their friends and family already. Dump the motherfucker already. The reason it's a trap is you can, without even noticing that you're doing it, fill your column and fill your show with nothing but DTMFA calls. So you have to set a lot of those aside and Look for solvable problems and interesting questions that don't just involve break the fuck up. I created the acronym DTMFA so I could handle these questions with some speed and alacrity. Yes, just dump the motherfucker already. You don't even need to spell that whole sentence out. Just DTMFA. Sometimes it's the only thing I write in a column. Somebody sends me a question. It's an obvious DTMFA situation. Rather than unpacking it, rather than paragraphs of advice, rather than analyzing their situation, all I say is DTMFA. And everyone knows what I mean. Which brings me to a letter that I got at Savage Love. Listening to pundits discuss the president on the radio, I was inspired by your brilliant acronym, DTMFA, to yell, impeach the motherfucker already. I would love to see a line of bumper stickers and t-shirts bearing that sensible message. I-T-M-F-A. We need a shorthand for the obvious. Think of the boost to productivity if we could all just cut our half-hour conversations about the president into the five simple letters. I-T-M-F-A. I appeal to you to bring this acronym into our everyday vocabulary, signed, dumped my motherfucker already. Here's the interesting thing. The letter writer wasn't referring to Donald Trump, our current awful president, but George W. Bush, our last truly awful president. I thought it was a great idea. I got a website, www.impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com, and I sold buttons and t-shirts and lapel pins and raised in a few short months $20,000 in 2006. I donated half that money to the ACLU and the rest of it I split between two Senate candidates challenging two awful members of the U.S. Senate. Raised 20 grand in just a few short months by promoting ITMFA. 
I think we need ITMFA now more than ever at the dawn of the Trump administration. So I am bringing back www.impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com. If that's too much typing for you, you can also go to www.itmfa.com. And there you will find buttons with ITMFA on it. You will find hats in the style of, you know what hats I'm referring to, hats and t-shirts, ITMFA. I want it to become our MAGA, our hashtag M-A-G-A. If you go on Twitter right now and you search for the hashtag ITMFA, you will find that people were already throwing that term around before it occurred to me to bring it back. It's out there. Let's pick it up. Let's use it. There were people, I'm so proud of this, there were people at the giant women's marches this weekend in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. and Chicago carrying ITMFA signs. We will be donating all the money we raise selling ITMFA merch to Planned Parenthood, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the International Refugee Assistance Project. So go to itmfa.org or impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com to order your buttons. Get ITMFA hats for everyone you know who's been wearing Make America Great Again hats. They might not want them right now, but with so many Trump supporters already getting online, getting on Twitter, and saying that they regret voting for the asshole, you might be able to get those hats onto the heads of your asshole relatives who supported Trump soon, hopefully. Hopefully soon. And what happens if we impeach Trump? Well, then it's President Pence. And that makes a lot of people nervous, myself included. What do we do then? We keep wearing our ITMFA gear until all of these motherfuckers have been impeached and are gone on. So DTMFA, famous Savage Love Neologism. ITMFA, briefly in 2006, a famous Savage Love Neologism that we are bringing back. The people are bringing it back. People were out of the demos this weekend wearing ITMFA, carrying ITMFA signs without prompting. Let's spread it around. Let's wear the buttons. I am wearing one of my vintage ITMFA buttons right now. You can get a new one. Just go again to impeachthemotherfuckeralready.com or itmfa.org. And before we get to the calls, a big thank you to everyone who marched this weekend all over the world on all seven continents, including Antarctica. Thank you to the organizers. Thank you to the speakers. Thank you to the marchers. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the demonstrations this weekend really put wind in all of our sails. Let's get up. Let's get out there. Let's fight. ITMFA. Hi, Dan. Uh, Single male, straight in the Midwest. I've been uh, dating this girl for about a month, and uh, it's getting pretty serious pretty quick. The challenge is that she admits that she has trust issues of intimacy, and it takes her a long time to come. She does not come vaginally. She says she can only come if, I imagine, if um, she's being fingered or she's giving her a clip played with. And um, she also says that it would take her longer. It does take her a lot of trust issues to have someone go down on her. And she's not ready for that yet. So I'm a little bit conflicted about what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I'm a little nervous that I won't be able to, to appease her Um to give her what she needs and to, you know, make her come. And that's what I want to do. So any suggestions that you have would be really appreciated. Um, It does kind of put a lot of pressure because she admits that she is a tough case, as she calls herself. But a lot of it has to do with trust, as she admits. So 
part part of it for me is that I just think it's a matter of her trusting me more. So yeah. How can you be confused about what it is you need to be doing to your girlfriend's junk when I, a faggot, am sitting here however many hundreds or thousands of miles away I am from your girlfriend's junk, knowing exactly what to do based on the conversation that she had with you that you related to all of us just now. Play with her fucking clit. Touch her fucking clit. Get a vibrator and vibrate her fucking clit. She does not come vaginally. You know what? No women come vaginally. 75% of women cannot come from vaginal PIV intercourse alone. And there's no such thing as a vaginal orgasm. There are only clitoral orgasms. Some women during PIV, vaginal intercourse, their clitoris is engaged by the tug or the grind and they are able to come or their clitoral tissues are wrapped in such a way around their vaginal canal that their clitoris is getting fucking stimulated and they come, but no women come from just vaginal orgasms. There's nothing defective about your girlfriend. There's nothing broken about your girlfriend. She is not a tough case. I haven't had sex with a woman in three fucking decades, but I could give your girlfriend an orgasm right now if she was in the stirrups here on the table at which we record the Savage Love Cast. I bet you all didn't know that, that we have stirrups here on the table for emergencies. You never know. Look, dude, this isn't hard. This is easy. Even if she's not ready for you to go down on her, and some women are really uncomfortable with oral sex, particularly with new partners, and again, with people they don't trust, totally legit concern on her part, often because women who requested oral from other guys have been twat-shamed about their genitalia and then are hesitant or scared. They don't want to be shamed like that again by some asshole. So they want to make sure you're not some asshole before they press your face into their twat. In the meantime, in the interim, while you build that trust, you can be giving her orgasms by doing exactly what she told you to do. Play with her clit. With your fingers. With your thumb. Grind against it. You can play with her clit with your dick. Don't stick it in her vag. Don't shove it up her vaginal canal. Rub it up and down against her fucking clit. Get a goddamn vibrator. If you are confused about how to make her come, ask her if she masturbates. Hopefully she does. If she doesn't, encourage her to start. If she does and she can get herself off, tell her you want to sit and watch her make herself come so you know exactly then how to do it. Dude, this is an easy one. I am disappointed in you as a listener. I'm disappointed in you that you found the info that she gave you confusing, not confusing. Knock off the confused boyfriend routine and help your girlfriend knock out a few O's. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Hi, Dan. I'm a single gay man on the East Coast in my 20s. I have a question about fuck buddy etiquette. Um, So I have a good friend who I sleep with semi-regularly. Uh, he's a little older than me and generally has his life more put together. He has a nice apartment, good job, etc. However, his clothes always smell like they've been left in the dryer for way, way too long, like mildew. And what's worse is his bed sheets have the same problem, but even worse. It's so bad that when I stay over, it's almost impossible for me to get to sleep. Um, <laughs> the smell is just everywhere. How do I bring this up to him or do I say anything at all? What are you risking here? If you say something and he's offended, you're risking whatever sex you're having with him. You're not risking the sleepovers that you do not enjoy or the stank of his clothes, which you do not enjoy. You're risking these sleepovers after the sex. You could arrange to have the sex elsewhere. If you don't want to nut up 
Ova up and have this convo with him. But I think you should be the friend in friend with benefits. That part comes first. Sometimes friends say to friends like, dude, you got to know that when you do X blank happens, or you got to know the person you're about to marry is horrible. And it's possible this guy, despite having a job, despite having his life put together in a decent apartment and being set up in New York, it's possible that no one ever explained to him how to fucking do laundry. It's entirely possible that he made it to this stage of life, having, when he went away to college, started doing his own laundry for himself, and no one ever told him that the laundry has to go quickly from the washing machine to the dryer, lest mildew set in and your clothes reek and stink. And he can't smell it because he's soaking in it, but you can smell it. And it's going to cost him other friends with benefits. It might cost him at some point down the road, it might cost him a relationship with someone who might want to commit to him in a more serious way. So you have to over up. You got to friend up. You got to sit him down and you got to say, look, I don't know if you know this, but your clothes and your sheets smell like they spent too much time in the washing machine. There's this strong mildewy smell that you probably don't pick up on because you're around all the time. Smell is a way of doing that. You block it out. And who knows? Maybe he's going to be offended, but hopefully not. Hopefully he's mature and as put together emotionally as you say he is professionally and apartmentally. And he will say, Oh God, uh, no one ever told me that. Oh my God. And he'll be appropriately mortified and do a better job with the laundry. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 23 year old from the Pacific Northwest. And um, I have a question. I noticed a lump on my boyfriend's testicle. And I, like, don't know if he, like, doesn't notice. It seems, like, super obvious that there's a fucking lump on his testicle. I can see it. I can feel it. It's, like, right there. It's not, like, underneath in some weird hidden place. And I'd like to talk to him about this. The problem is, is my boyfriend is a very anxious hypochondriac and have a lot of anxiety about, you know, ever potentially being sick or terminally ill and garbage like that. Um, he also uh, doesn't have health insurance. So I think that combination is pretty awful and makes me really nervous to talk to him about it because, yeah. Um, so with all those details being said, what is the best way to go about talking to him about it without freaking him out, without freaking myself out? and not being the worst case scenario and how do I find help for him that he can afford if he does need it. Donald Trump is president, but Obamacare is still the law of the land and enrollment for Obamacare for 2017 is open through January 31st. And you need to go ahead and freak out your boyfriend. You need to march him into healthcare.gov and get him to sign up and enroll and get his ass to a doctor. And if he freaks the fuck out because he's a hypochondriac, good. That'll motivate him to get this checked out. Hypochondriacs tend to rush to the doctor over nothing, but this is something. And if it's what you worry that it could be, the sooner he gets to the doctor, the better. So don't worry about panicking your hypochondriac boyfriend. Your boyfriend ought to be panicked and panic might be the right response and panic might be the response that saves his nuts and saves his life. Remember, Hypochondriacs are all vindicated in the end. Something comes along that kills the hypochondriac, that sickens and kills the hypochondriac. And you don't want to avoid telling a hypochondriac they might have testicular cancer because that might upset them. 
and in the end only delay treatment until it's too late, until the cancer spreads, yeah, go ahead. Panic him. And now is the time to panic him. January 31st, 2017, he can enroll until then in Obamacare and get coverage for this, whatever this might be, if indeed it is something serious. So tell him what you found and have a game plan so that he can get coverage. And right now through January 31st, even under Donald J. Trump, he can still get coverage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 40-year-old straight woman living in Los Angeles, and I was in a relationship with a married man for about two and a half years. He was not in an open relationship, but I don't believe in monogamy, and they don't have any kids, so I never felt guilty about the relationship. It was the most beautiful, wonderful, fulfilling relationship I've ever had. I've never felt more loved and cared for by anyone. I love him so much, and he loves me, but then one day he just decided it was over. Um, He dumped me because he and his wife had some plans to grab the country. I was super angry. He dumped me the day before I was going on this big spiritual retreat and vacation, and he thought I could work through my feelings of loss then, but I didn't. He sort of ruined the trip for me, and I'm still just as angry as the night he dumped me. I want to tell his wife, I'm not ashamed of what I did, and I have nothing to lose. He's living a lie, pretending he's in a monogamous relationship when he's a total sex maniac, and he should be with me because he wouldn't have to lie to me, and we'd be totally awesome together. I'm not some wilting flower that a man could just throw away like a piece of trash. I have power, and I want to use it. So, what are your thoughts? What do I think? Honestly, what I was sitting here thinking as I listened to your call was that some enterprising young tech genius in Los Angeles should create an app that's just your voice and so that anybody, any straight guy in Los Angeles who's on a first date with a 40-year-old straight woman can uh, run the app and it's a voice recognition program and if it beeps red and it's you, they can beat a hasty spiritual retreat. Look, you're not a little flower who can be disposed of. You are kind of a cliche. I hate to invoke the whole bunny boiler thing, fatal attraction, the Michael Douglas, Glenn Close movie from I think the early nineties that made the true victim of the affair that the straight married man with kids was having be the straight married man. Cause he was so persecuted by the woman that he dumped. She will not be ignored. That's almost, I will not be ignored. Glenn Close said almost like you saying, I am not a little pink flower that can be discarded. You were fucking a married man. You knew he had a wife. You knew what you were signing up for. You were doing something in a way that was kind of shitty to the wife and shitty with the husband. And he was married to her. And it doesn't sound like he ever gave you any indication that he was going to leave his wife for you. So your relationship with him, with your lover, with this other woman's husband was always a contingency and they moved away and he cut you loose. You weren't going to move away with them theoretically. And I get that it hurts to be dumped. It sucks to be dumped. It hurts to have a relationship that you enjoy, that you think is beautiful and loving and, but allowing your feelings for this man to curdle so quickly into anger and to plot your revenge in this way to now from this position, having been let go, having been dumped to want to reach out and destroy his marriage, which you were content to tolerate and put up with the entire 2.5 years you were together just makes you look like someone he should never have stuck his dick in in the first place and like someone he's well rid of. So 
if you want to retroactively confirm for him his decision to end things with you, yeah, you should call his wife. The odds that if indeed their marriage falls apart based on this revelation, because you out him as having had an affair, I don't know, probably 50%. The odds that he will then want to run away with you and be with you after what you did to him are 0%. You are not going to win this man by telegraphing to him, by communicating to him that you will stomp him if you don't get what you want when you want it from him for always. So I don't know what you're telling yourself in your head about what the end game is going to be here after you destroy his marriage. As faulty and flawed as it may be, and every marriage is faulty and flawed in its own unique way, and his sounds faulty and flawed in a completely common and cliche way, his pivot from that destruction His pivot from being the victim of your revenge is not going to be a flash mob proposal to you. You can't at once be the avenging angel and the partner in the infidelity itself. Those are kind of mutually exclusive roles. And when people who were partners in the infidelity, co-conspirators, complicit in all the adultery that the wife suffered from, then want to strap on wings and be the avenging angel punishing the adulterer, when actually there are adulterers, plural, it's not a good look, not an attractive look, not a look that says I'm sane. And it's not a look that says that spiritual retreat I went on had any effect whatsoever. So do what you got to do, lady. But I would think about it perhaps on another spiritual retreat. I think you should go on a couple more spiritual retreats before you do something so cruel and vindictive and small and petty and revealing, I think, of your own entitlement, but also complicity. Like your anger with him is so overblown. It's so grossly inflated that I think it's uh, projecting some of the anger that you have for yourself, that you were fucking this married man for 2.5 years. Maybe, and you say you don't believe in monogamy and you say the sex was great and it was a beautiful, loving relationship. And maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you feel like you were played for a fool, not only by him, also by you. Some of this anger that you're throwing out and directing toward him rightly belongs on you. You should be mad at yourself for making yourself so vulnerable to this person and being a party to this ongoing infidelity if you couldn't hack it. And it sounds like you couldn't. Sorry, you're angry. But let's have a little spiritual retreat exercise right now. Breathe in blue, breathe out red, or breathe in red and breathe out blue. I can never remember which it is, but whichever one it is, breathe it in, breathe it out. And don't do it. Don't do it. You have to hold up your end of the bargain. His end of the bargain was not, I'm going to leave my wife for you. And his end of the bargain was not, I'm going to be with you forever. Not necessarily. No one's end of the bargain in any relationship or any marriage is I'm going to necessarily be with you forever. Forever is a hope. If the relationship is good and decent and loving, we want to stay in it. But it is never a surety. It is never a guarantee. Hey, Dan and Savvy at Rescue. I spent my New Year's Eve on a first date. My long-term partner and I decided to have a threesome within... Hours on Tinder found a cool unicorn who wanted to just meet and hang out with us, which we did, and it was awesome. 
so I'm feeling really excited about this. My question is, if we do have a threesome, I'm a first-time threesome-er, obviously my boyfriend will wear a condom. Is it safe for us to, like, take turns on his dick? Like, I don't know if any body fluids are getting exchanged that way. What's the best course to take protection-wise? Little experiment. Get out the mayo, get out the mustard. Dip your finger in the mayo and then dip your finger in the mustard. Is there mustard in the mayo now and mayo in the mustard? Yes, there is. Same rule applies here. If your boyfriend dips his dick, wearing a condom, in this other woman and then dips his dick in you, whatever mayo she has going on there could be transferred to your mustard. If she has syphilis, if she has chlamydia, if she has gonorrhea, if she has HIV, you could be exposed more easily to gonorrhea or chlamydia than HIV or syphilis, but still, you could be exposed. So your boyfriend has to change condoms as he goes from girl to girl and hole to hole, or you two need to get your hands on what are called female condoms, which are, I call them affectionately Ass can liners like trash can liners because I have used them for anal. So ass can, trash can liners. They're a little like trash can liners for the hole that you're going to fuck. It's a condom that you put in place and leave there. So you can, if you are entertaining multiple bottoms or multiple ladies, you can put female condoms in the holes you're going to fuck and then the dick can go unencumbered and undelayed from hole to hole to hole and back and forth without having to, with slippery wet fingers and a slippery wet dick, change condoms each time you want to go back and forth. So that is an option, the female condom. They have them at Planned Parenthood. There's a great info page about them at plantparenthood.org, and they are a good option for you. I want to go off on my tips for first-time three-wayers rant, but I've done it so often, and hopefully you've listened to me on past shows. Give those tips. Quickly, just two to review. I won't go through all of them. Your third is a human being with feelings and needs of their own and must be taken into consideration. And you two, as the couple, it is on you to be solicitous of that person and their desires and their comfort, not just your comfort as the couple. Also something to bear in mind when you have that first three-way, one of the major stumbling blocks for people is, oh my God, there was this moment where it was just the two of them and I felt like I wasn't even in the room. Two ways have a way of breaking out in the middle of three ways. If you don't have a panic attack or a meltdown, it can turn back into a three-way. But there will be moments when one person is on the outside of the action briefly. If that person has a heart attack and blows the fuck up, the three-way's over. If that person, on the other hand, just takes it in, gazes, appreciates it'll roll back into a three-way. If it doesn't of its own accord start to roll back into a three-way, that third person who's on the outs at that moment should clear their throat and say, I'd like back into this with a smile, not a frown and not a freak out. Good luck. Hi, I'm a 25-year-old female and I have a question. My boyfriend's family, we love to eat. I love to eat. Um, and I don't mind eating and going over their house and eating dinner and I think my boyfriend's grandma cooks really well, and I love her cooking. But um, yesterday, I went to his uncle's house. Um, he lives a lot further from us, and it was the first time I met him. And he had made hamburger helper, um, two boxes of it. I'm not a big fan of hamburger helper, but I had already 
ate before. And at first I modestly said, no, you know, I don't want any. And I was like, you know what, why not? You know, and I felt like I didn't want to be too rude. So I said, all right, I'll have a little. And the mom gave me a decent amount and I didn't end up finishing it. I ate a good portion of it from the bowl. And my boyfriend said something under his breath and took the food as if it's rude to not finish it. Now, I don't know what's the modest way to handle that situation. I didn't want to be rude or feel like I can't finish anything, but I wanted to at least seem like, you know, I was being respectful, but I just felt like the mom had made a comment. His mom had made a comment like, well, you know, when you come to, if you ask for food, you know, just believe to finish it. And I felt a little bit taken back, kind of. I just don't know what to do in the future. How should I move forward when it comes to food like this? If I'm not ready to eat it, should I just say, no, listen, I'm not hungry. I don't want any. Or even if I take a bowl and I'm hungry, but I don't want to finish it, how, what should I do moving forward? How can I be respectful towards the family? As a card-carrying member of the Coastal Elite, I am not going to sneer at Hamburger Helper, lest I further alienate the white working class voter. Look, lady, there's nothing that ketchup can't fix. Bury Hamburger Helper under enough ketchup. And I grew up eating Hamburger Helper in the 70s with my family. Whip inflation now. There wasn't enough food in the house. We ate a lot of fucking Hamburger Helper. Ketchup is the cure. That said... I'm a little concerned about what an asshole your boyfriend was in that circumstance, that his mom and his uncle or whoever else was there might have been keeping track of exactly how much hamburger helper you ate is one thing and a weird thing that your boyfriend then piled on and shamed you for not cleaning your plate like you're some fucking toddler is disturbing. I would be concerned if I were you. I would have a little convo with my boyfriend about where he went with me that day. In the future, in a similar circumstance where you are with family, and sometimes being with family means choking down some chow you might not choose to eat of your own accord, nothing you would order in a restaurant or seek out in the grocery store, little white lies are your friend. Ground beef doesn't agree with me. Sometimes I get sick to the stomach. I love it, and so I'd like to have a little bit, but I'm not able to have much. Oh, this is delicious. You lie. Or I'm on a diet, so just a little bit for me. Or I just ate, but could you wrap some of that up for me? I'd love to have it later tonight back at the hotel or back at home or wherever. And then it goes straight into the compost bin. An important aspect of being able to trot out one of these white lies is the active support of your boyfriend in a circumstance like that. So he needs to be on your side. If you're going to be at mom's house or uncle's house and you don't want to offend anybody and they made a huge plate of greasy garbage that you don't want to eat any of, and you're going to be polite and eat a little bit of, he needs to help you run interference there, not pile on and call you out and shame you for not scarfing down the whole fucking pan of Hamburger Helper. We're going to take a quick break from the calls to get this month's sex toy recommendation from Erica Moen, the genius cartoonist behind Oh Joy Sex Toy, a weekly comic about sex toys and sex ed. You can find Ojoy Sex Toy at www.ojoysextoy.com. Hey, Erica, thanks for jumping on the phone. Hi. So what is January's sex toy recommendation? 
Okay, so last month I went super high end with something that cost like 500 bucks, and this time I'm going super low end but still super good. And I'm recommending the Beyblend Silver Bullet Vibrator, which Beyblend sells for 15 bucks. But basically, every single sex toy creator company has a Silver Bullet vibe, and they can range from like $10 up to $30, but they're super, super basic. They're really affordable. And I totally recommend them for somebody who doesn't know where to start with sex toys mm-hmm. because they're really cheap. Um, so what you have is this silver egg thing, and it's got a cord that connects to a little controller box. So you've got your masturbating hand, and that holds the egg thing. And then you've got your controller hand, and that holds the control. And it's for external vulva use, although some people like to put it on the heads of their penises as well. So whatever your genital situation is it's you, you put it on the outside it's not it's not it's not a toy you stuff up your butt or stuff up your vaginal canal yes please don't unless you want to go to the er why is that well because if you're going to put something in your butt it needs to have a flared base otherwise it goes like because your butt it, it don't quit and so things will just keep going on up in there and then uh-huh. the only person who can get it out again is a doctor and your vagina like well i can you could put it in your vag, but it's not, I, I don't think you're going to, I don't think it's going to feel that great, honestly. So silver bullets are for external use only for clitoral or labia or the heads of penises or nipples. Sure. Yeah. I hear some people like that. I've seen a couple of tit clamps sets that incorporated silver bullets into the clamps. Okay. Well, I had not heard of that. So I'm I've learning only, something new too. I've only seen them. I have never uh, gotten to experience them. I imagine they are. <laughs> not yet <laughs> vibey um but yeah so and, and also the silver bullet has personal sentimental value for me because it is the toy that gave me my very first orgasm ever um Aww. so I'm, I'm very fond of it yeah and uh yeah thanks so they bland in seattle <laughs> i have the same feeling about a certain brand of emerald green shampoo that they don't make anymore <laughs> that was instrumental in my first orgasm in my parents' house many, many yeah. years ago. Memories. How old were you when you had your first orgasm? I was a teenager, and I don't want to say specifically because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, uh, but I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was a teenager, and I got it from a store. <laughs> so a silver bullet for someone who's intimidated by a Hitachi magic wand, which is the magic jackhammer mm-hmm. of vibrators, is it a good first toy? And is it an effective first yes. toy? It gave you your first orgasm. Have you heard from other women who found it to be as effective as you did? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard from other folks who, who do love them and like them. And the silver bullet is definitely a wonderful baby's first introduction to uh, sex toys. Uh, because like, it's, it gives you a good sense for how strong you like something. Because if you try it out and you're like, well, this this is a nice little tickle, but it's not strong enough, then you know I need to invest in something that's heavier duty. And if you try it out and it just totally takes you right there, then you're like, this is as strong as I need. And like the fact that the cost of it is so affordable makes it a good experimental toy to just figure out what you like. And um, yeah. And at this point, like I, I still do like a, a good silver bulleting but uh i i do prefer much stronger vibrations now like mm-hmm. it's not hitachi anymore now it's the vibratex but the magic wand and um and the mystic wand also by vibratex it's like i like those bigger stronger ones but the bullet five is still it's still solid it's still good and it it 
it was enough for me when I very first started before I blew out all the nerves in my clit. <laughs> <laughs> it would also be a great stocking stuffer. So it's too late for the Christmas yeah. we just had and the holidays we just had. But if you're the kind of person who does your Christmas and holiday shopping really early, it's January. You can stock up on silver bullets and delight all your friends by stuffing them not in their butts, but in their stockings come December. Or February because it's Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day is Christmas of the sex toy industry. Great point. Thank you, Erica Moen. You should be reading her comic, Ojoy Sex Toy. You can find it at ojoysextoy.com. And she comes on the Lovecast every month now to give us a sex toy rack. Thanks for coming on, Erica. Talk to you next month. All right. My pleasure. Hey, Dan. Uh, I've got a quick question for you. I'm in a bit of a conundrum. Uh, my older brother, he's 30, and he just broke the news to me that he's marrying his partner of a few years. Um, he lives away from the rest of the family. The family does not know that he is gay and that he is marrying a man. Um, the family is sort of casually racist, casually homophobic. They go to Trump, you know, they're, they mean well, they're good people, but um, he's nonetheless tasked me with helping him break the news to the family of the wedding. It's in October um, and it's in Mexico. And I am just kind of beating my head against the wall trying to figure out a good way to break this news to the family. So when your brother laid this on you, did it not occur to you to say, tell him yourself? Um, you know what? I just have a little bit of compassion for his situation. So I decided that rather than doing that, that I would just try and help him out a little bit to be sort of a conduit between him and my family because he's very worried about how they'll react. So so you're going to play the role of the buffer. You're going to absorb some of the initial shitty reaction so he doesn't have to absorb it all himself. Well, the hope is it won't be that shitty of a reaction, but if there is something, I will probably be the sort of the voice of a reason, mm -hmm. sort of the buffer, yeah. Okay, actually, before we get to what I think you should do about your brother and how I think you should approach your family, I want to say there's nothing casual about racism, nothing casual about homophobia, particularly after we watched Donald Trump weaponize racism and xenophobia and transphobia and homophobia to win this election. And we're all going to be dealing with that outcome for a long time and the negative consequences of racism and homophobia and the ballot box and people like your family that voted for this asshole. So I, I, you know, I'm sure they're lovely people in some respects, but they really shat the bed right this year. And they kind of stink right now, as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, I guess to clarify that there is, you're totally right. There's nothing casual about it, but what I mean is they're not outwardly hateful. They're not like, you know, your card carrying white supremacists or whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're lovely people, like you said, but I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I, I get you, and I and I want to I want to grant you that, but you know, to draw that distinction, to try to to figure out where to draw that line between card carrying members, cross burning members of the KKK, and the people who put up with them or find common cause with them or vote the way they do, where to draw that line for me is a little difficult to place right now because I'm still reeling from the election. I hope your relatives come the fuck around. In the next four years. But let's leave that aside. Okay, your brother. And okay. a, a quick follow-up question. How old is he and how long has he lived far from the family? Uh, he's 30 and he moved out of the house when he was 18. So he's one of those guys, and, and there are a lot of queer people out there in his circumstance, and I'm not faulting him, 
who, because he fears his family's reaction, fears perhaps being cut off by his family, he has to cut his family off. He proactively cuts his family off because he fears being cut off by his family. And he didn't give his, despite the Trump vote and the casual racism and the casual homophobia, he didn't give his family the chance to come through, to grow. So he, you know, created for himself the circumstance that he feared. He has no relate. He's estranged from his family because of his homosexuality. His family just doesn't know why they're estranged. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. That's a good point. I did tell him. I did tell him what you've said before in the past about how you have, you know, your only leverage over your family is sort of your presence. Mm-hmm. It, it's ironic in a sense that he's sort of taking himself out of it by, you know, keeping it from them. Right. Yeah. So he's not being present, but his family doesn't know why he's made himself absent. Right. But I can't blame him. You know, it's to to be queer and to grow up in a family where a lot of homophobic things are said. That's a little cut. You know, that's and uh, those can add up over time and a person can emerge from that upbringing really scarred and really fearful. So I don't want to lay all the blame for this at your brother's feet. Your family is ultimately responsible for the fact that this kid grew up queer in this family and is so terrified of his family that he ran from them as soon as he was old enough to. He's not he's not the author of that. No, I was guilty of the same thing for a long time. I mean, we grew up we were good old Christian folk, you know, and gay is wrong and all of that stuff. I was totally in that camp for a mm-hmm. long time. But um, when he came out to me, um, I completely did an immediate 180. So I'm kind of hoping they do the same because I came around very quickly when I realized like, oh, someone in my life is gay. That really, you know, puts it, makes it more human and it makes it much more easy to empathize and understand. And I've, I've been on his team ever since he came out. And that is the secret weapon of the LGBT civil rights movement that, you know, we come out to our families and our families that may have been homophobic or biphobic or transphobic come around. What I'm curious about, and I'd like to ask you based on what you just shared with us, when you found out your brother was gay, suddenly you could see the humanity of gay people. Why was that not possible for you when you found out other people's brothers were gay? Where was the disconnect there? I had not known anybody in my life that was gay and I just had no frame of reference. Like I knew, I probably knew people that were gay and I didn't know they were gay, but mm-hmm. um, including your being brother, in an insular, right. I being in like this insular Midwestern environment that I grew up in, I just, I didn't know anybody. And you know, my brother wasn't out and I was just a kid, you know, I, he came out to me and I was probably 20 years old and I'm 25 now. And mm-hmm. That was sort of just a first, I mean, it's totally on me for not having a sort of empathy, but um, just kind of my, I, I chalk it up to my upbringing and my, you know, immaturity and my ignorance as a result. I, I question, I really question the brand of Christianity that someone can soak in all their lives and lack empathy at the end of that soaking process. It seems to me oh, as a too. Catholic, raised Christian and Catholic myself, that decent forms of Christianity, decent strains should instill empathy and a moral imagination that can project you into other people's circumstances and other people's lives. Cause I am always flabbergasted by this. Like my son came out to me. I pulled a 180. I used to hate gay people. Now I love gay people. Now I'm for gay marriage. Rob Portman, the Senator from Ohio who came around, pulled a 180 on gay marriage and gay people and gay rights when his son came out to him. And I just look at him and go, all right. So when somebody else's son came out to them, it was fuck you and fuck your son. 
But now that my son's out to me, I love gay people and I'm for gay marriage. Like I don't understand that disconnect. And we see it again and again. And that's a double-edged sword. That disconnect in a way is the secret weapon of the LGBT civil rights movement and the secret of its success is that when we come out to people who we are related to by blood, they have to really take a long, hard look at their homophobia and decide what they value more, their flesh and blood or their bias and their bigotry and their ignorance. And as we have seen over the last 40 years, people are choosing and have chosen in ever greater numbers their flesh and blood, their loved ones over the homophobia that was beaten into them in some dumb fucking church. Okay, on to your brother, on to your problem. I think the loving thing to do and I think the best approach here is to write a letter. And if you don't want it zipping around and being misconstrued on Facebook, not that people can't these days take pictures and start sharing letters that way, write a letter and write it down on paper and print it out and send it to everyone and just rip the goddamn Band-Aid off all out, all at once to everybody. And your brother is not going to let his family vote on whether he's going to be gay or not. He's not waiting for his family to give them their approval to run off to Mexico and get married. Your brother's just finally telling them the truth and they can eat it if they don't like it. And he's not, he doesn't need their permission. And so I would encourage him if I were you, and if you're going to play this for your brother, I would encourage him directly to be fearless. He has nothing to lose here. His relationships with his family of origin have been allowed to atrophy over the last 12 years after he removed himself. So there's really nothing at stake here except nominal family relationships, nominal connections. And if those are severed, he's lost nothing. The flip side is that this coming out and his family knowing him, I I bet I would lay odds that you will not be the only person he's related to who pulls a 180. Others will. It may take them some time. Others will, though, come around because of that same – LGBT secret weapon magic that now it's my kid. Now it's my nephew. Now it's my uncle. Now it's my grandson. And that makes it different when it was your son, nephew, uncle, grandson, fuck you and your fag son, nephew, uncle, grandson. But now that it's mine, I'm going to have to reassess. So I promise your brother that others will come around. It may take some time, might not be in time for the wedding, but he's in part has to bear some responsibility for that because his family could have begun the 180 journey Years ago, if he had really looked at what he was doing and gone, okay, I'm cutting them out of my life for fear that they might cut me out of theirs, and that's dumb. So I'm just going to tell them, and we can see what happens. Maybe I'll get cut out. Maybe I won't. Right now, I'm definitely cut out because I'm doing the cutting. So brother, if you're listening, stop doing the cutting. Invite them in. If they don't walk in to your life, if they don't want to be a part of your life, fuck them. And value the relatives who do want to be a part of your life, like your awesome brother, who I'm talking to right now on the phone. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll, uh, you're, I'll you're play do- this call for him. <laughs> you're you're a good you're a good brother to have, you know. And let's I don't want to heap too much blame on your brother. Like obviously he was so wounded by whatever he was exposed to, and whatever happened to him, and whatever he overheard growing up, that he fled, mm-hmm. and he's lived with that fear for decades. And so clearly, you know, given a choice between cutting yourself off from your family of origin and telling them the truth, when somebody has such a hard time telling the truth, it's probably because they're really traumatized. So my sympathy goes out to your brother, but now he's 30. Now he's going to be a married man. Now it's time to over up and tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. And then get on with your life with the people who love and accept you and to hell with the people that don't. All right. 
Well, thanks so much for calling me back. I appreciate it. I'll share all this with them. Good luck. And would you please give us a call back and let us know how it goes? Are you going to the wedding before I let you off the phone and off the hook? Oh, hell, hell yeah. I'm Good. there. Good. Invite your mom and dad to come with you. Thanks so much. Bye. Hi, Dan. Um, after the election, I was completely devastated and reflected on not only the way that the world was headed, but my own life and realized that um, I have been replicating these terrible negative patterns. I married someone who is emotionally abusive, verbally abusive at times, and I came from a verbally abusive household. So I just decided, you know what, I don't want to keep these cycles going. And I told my husband that I wanted to separate, um, that I want to move out. Um, he, for some reason, doesn't understand why I would want to do that, even though he's known to cheat on me multiple times, more times than I probably know um, and knew before I was married. He just recently divulged the actual number of how many times he's cheated on me. Um, but not only him, you know, his family has opinions on it and is just thinking that maybe I'm being too brash, um, that I don't really know what I'm saying, that this is just too drastic of a decision. And, you know, we also happen to have a son and what does it mean for him? And so many different opinions coming from all over the place. And even in my own family, um, who worry about more of my financial security than my happiness. And even though I know I am justified, I'm having a hard time navigating through all of these different opinions. Um, my chosen family, my friends know where I'm coming from. They see who he is and who I am, and they know why I would want to jump ship. But, um, yeah, these people who are still going to be in my life forever, my family and his family, um, given that we have a son and him, aren't getting it. And it's causing a lot of strife for me um, because I know why I'm doing this, but I just want them to understand, which I understand is, you know, a little bit too much to ask for. But I just wanted to hear what you thought as far as what I should do um, to navigate all of these different opinions and different feelings that everyone has about my own life. Your family and his family, they're all giving you grief now because they're trying to talk you out of it. Once they realize that you cannot be talked out of it, that you've made up your mind and your decision is final, they'll knock it the fuck off. But right now they're running interference. Right now they're trying to, quote unquote, bring you to your senses. And if they ask you what it means for your son, you should just tell them that it means your son isn't going to grow up with a male role model in the home who's verbally abusive and a serial philanderer. That's what it's going to mean for your son. Still going to have a relationship with his dad. Still going to know his dad and his dad's family. But probably better for your son in the long run not to have that kind of relationship with a woman modeled for him whether or not he ends up with a woman as an adult. Could be queer when he grows up. That's what you say. And you just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And if your family can't respect your decision, if his family can't respect your decision... Spend less time with your family for the moment and his family for the moment. Spend more time with your friends who understand and support the decision that you've made, as I do. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Uh, I have a quick question for you. It's a little bit of an unusual series of events that led to uh, something that's never happened to me before. But I'm a very regular uh, condom user and a very particular type of condom that I am pretty loyal to. Um, and I was having sex with a guy. It was pretty standard. Uh, I was a topping. He was riding me. And I usually try not to come in condoms because I don't like it. It just doesn't – I don't – 
get off as well. And I just kind of, I prefer not to come in the condom, but in this situation, I actually uh, did come in the condom. Uh, condom didn't break. That's the good part of the story. But when I actually came and with like each time I came, um, it was really painful. Like it actually hurt from like the top of my dick all the way to the bottom. Um, so he got off me right away cause I threw him off pretty much. And then, uh, took the condom off and didn't notice anything unusual except that it still kind of hurt. Um, other weird parts of the story is he actually, there was more sexual contact at that point. Uh, but it's not really pertinent to my question, which is about five minutes later, once it started getting soft, um, my penis started bleeding. It was kind of like um, bloody nose at the end of your dick. So I'm kind of thinking maybe it was some kind of urethral tear. But uh, anyway, the point of the question is, have you ever heard of someone who uses condoms on a regular basis? And the, when they come in the condom, the condom is not properly seated, perhaps, or situated where it actually tore the end of the penis. Um, if that's possible, and if not possible, then how in the world did I cause my dick to bleed after sex? Occam's razor, when there are two or many explanations for some certain phenomenon, the simplest and obvious answer is usually the correct one. The odds that you tore your dick in a razor wire chainmail condom, very low. Uh, they recommend leaving space at the tip of the condom. So the semen has somewhere to collect, not because you're going to explode the tip of your dick and it's going to bleed, but because that might lead the condom itself to break. You want to have some room up there for the semen to collect so that the force of your ejaculation and this sudden liquid presence at the end of the common doesn't cause it to pop. What probably happened was that you injured your urethra at some point in the day. The fact that the pain went up and down your urethra, the fact that you don't mention there being an obvious tear or sore on the tip of your penis where the bleeding was originating, leads me to believe that you injured your urethra, which is relatively easy to do, and the urethra is pretty delicate. And there are times in almost every man's life where he's rubbing one out, and he has an orgasm, and what comes out of his dick looks like a candy cane looks like peppermint, red and white stripes. It's happened to me when I fell on the bar of my bike, when I fell off the seat and hit the bar really hard. I imagine that at some point that day or the day before, maybe you soul cycled really hard. You're sitting on a part of your urethra when you sit on a bike seat. Maybe you just jammed it too hard that day at the gym and you didn't realize it until you were ejaculating in this nice man and suddenly the semen flying past the sore made itself known to you and the blood then continued to flow after your orgasm. That is the likeliest explanation. Nothing to do with proper condom usage, nothing to do with the brand of condom that you use. And good for you for using condoms. Keep it up. Hi, Dan. Uh, my mom, I'm calling in with a question about my mom. So my dad died about five years ago near a high school sweetheart. And like basically the only man she ever dated took her a long time to get over his death, but I think she's finally there. She's been talking to this other man that she's known for a long time, but never been romantically involved with. Um, she reconnected with him and she's been talking to him. I don't know the past month or so through text. She's got really excited because they were supposed to hang out and she, you know, they're texting back and forth. And basically he said to Saturday work, she said yes, and then she didn't hear anything more from him until 8 p.m. on Saturday with a text that said, hey, lady, what you doing? She is very angry, and she's not going to respond. She thinks that 
he should have, I don't know, made plans earlier than that. So I'm just calling to get your take on it. Like, should he have texted her sooner, called her sooner, or I want your advice. Last week, I took a call from a woman who was in distress because she was too involved in mom's love life. Uh, Her mom's husband, her dad was still alive and mom was confiding in her so much. It was making her really uncomfortable. And here we have the flip side. Dad's dead and mom is sharing this with you and you are being there for your mother and holding her hand through this. And that is great. And it doesn't sound like you are the least bit uncomfortable. You do have to respect, however, your mom's boundaries and her deal breakers. This guy took her for granted, didn't get in touch with her, rang her up booty call style at the last minute on Saturday night after she held that date open for him. And she thought that was rude and she doesn't want anything more to do with him. And and your mother has a right to feel that way and write that guy off. The only thing I think you should say to your mother is you could have called him. You could have texted him on Friday just to say, what's the deal? What are we doing tomorrow night? Could have goosed him to remind him. But Other than that, sounds like your mother is doing it right, and I'm glad your mother has you in her corner. Hi, Dan. Mid-20s bi woman in the Northwest. My best friend is marrying someone who doesn't believe in marriage equality. She thinks I will feel better about him if I get to know him better. We live far apart, so her, her idea is to send me a text every morning saying one thing she loves about him. It's been a week of texts now. I thought she would realize this is a bad idea on her own, but now I have to tell her to stop since it's really weird and makes me feel crappy. He is Catholic and six years older. She is not Catholic. He says he will never change his view. She is head over heels for him, and I asked her what they are going to do if their children are gay, when they have children in the future. She still hasn't given me a straight answer on this. I have told her that I don't think it will be a good marriage, but she still wants me to be the maid of honor next June. What do you make of this? Should I be in the wedding and try to change his mind? Should I cut ties? Help? Sounds like your friend is self-conscious about your disapproval and about the asshole that her fiancé happens to be. Hence the overcompensating texts reassuring you that he indeed is wonderful except for this large bigoted streak that runs through him like the Ganges runs through India. Do you have to cut your friend out of your life because your friend is in love with and willing to overlook her fiancé's bigotry? Not necessarily. I think, however, that you should engage in battle, that you should be confrontational with your friend and also with her fiance in a playful, friendly way. That when he says homophobic things, you confront him. That you make a point of when you have them over for dinner, you have your gay friends too. So this Catholic shitbag, and I say that as a Catholic myself, and I have known many Catholics who are not shitbags. I'm not calling all Catholic shitbags. My mother was a Catholic and not a shitbag, but this Catholic shitbag, he needs to meet some gay people most likely and be forced to interact with them. And that can be the cost of admission that you extract, the price of admission that you extract for your friendship. That's staying friends with you with your woman friend who's about to marry this asshole and then friendly relations with your friend's husband, which we sometimes have to do, that the cost of admission, the price of admission is going to be ongoing engagement on the gay issue and the LGBT issues, all of them, and exposure to queer people with and through you. Find a fabulous faggot. Make sure he's wearing, I don't know, a blingy, perhaps Mr. Turk suit and take him to the wedding as your date. Hi, Dan. I'm a single mom raising two kids in New York City. My little boy, who is nine years old, loves to dress in women's clothes 
mermaid tails, and he lo- loves to put on wigs. He loves to give us performances, and I'm very accepting and I'm excited for him, telling him that he has a great taste and is really very talented. He's invited to go on an audition this Saturday at the Met because the director detected some type of talent in him. This is my question. My son, who is again only nine years old, absolutely loves to, to, to dance as if he's a stripper. He dances essentially and puts on quite a show for us and loves, absolutely loves to tell me that one day he wants to be a stripper. When I ask him, what does that mean for you? What does it mean to be a stripper? He says that it means he will be dancing sexy for a bunch of people and in return they will throw money at him. Then I draw a line there and I gently tell him to gather himself and to not have this kind of ambitions. I tell him that his body is too precious, too important to use it, to sell it for money. In other words, then, this type of behavior, I try to discourage and put in his mind that this is not acceptable. What is your opinion? Am I too rigid? A friend of mine told me jokingly that I should instill in him to demand a very good compensation if he becomes a good stripper, not to discourage that. Any advice would really help Dan. Thank you. Stripping is a form of sex work, and I can't imagine a conversation that would make me, sex positive, pro-sex work me, more uncomfortable than gaming out for my nine-year-old kid their future in the sex work field. So I feel your pain. That said, mom, I think passive resistance here is your best friend. I think you let your son talk and you, and you listen without clamping down, without shaming him. When I was a couple years younger than your son is now, I wanted to live on a farm and marry my sister. We didn't understand, my sister and I, when we had those conversations, what marriage meant exactly, clearly, obviously, we didn't understand what marriage meant at all. And I am now an adult who does not live on a farm and is not married incestuously to my sister. So clearly your son has soaked up a little bit of the stripper stuff that's permeated pop culture. And I'm not going to name names lest fans yell at me, but sort of stripper aesthetic Male and female has kind of permeated a little bit of pop culture, and your son has picked up on that. And who knows? Maybe he's going to be the big breakout Boylesque star of the future who becomes to Boylesque what Gypsy Rose Lee was to Girlesque. Maybe that's his future. Maybe he's going to be a sexy dancer on Broadway, and he will get his stripper on every year at Broadway Bears and Get that out of his system. So don't tell him his body is too precious for this or his body is too precious for that. You can tell him that not a lot of people make enough money stripping to support themselves or support a family. And it's not necessarily a career that will carry you for 30 or 40 years unless you are Gypsy Rose Lee. And only Gypsy Rose Lee basically got to be Gypsy Rose Lee. So you love him and you love his dreams. And this is a lovely dream to have, but he also needs to have a fallback plan that's not entirely about his ass or people throwing money at him. 
And if you want to gently nudge him in another direction, it sounds like you live in New York. If he was being spotted by the Met and invited to an audition, take him to some big Broadway shows. Let him see what dancers do up there. Let him see what he could aspire to do up there. People are throwing money in the form of weekly paychecks at Dancers on Broadway. And it's a sexy job. It's a sexy fucking job. And I've met people who were dancers on Broadway who every once in a while would get on a pole in a strip club somewhere just for fun. So he can have a career in dance and performance and he can have this too if he wants it in the future. But you need to take a chill pill, mom, and relax. Because what kids say they want at nine and often who kids say they are at nine is not who kids wind up being at 14. So chill. Hi, Dan and everyone. I'm a straight lady. Married for about five years to a passionate partner who I love very much. We both come from long-term marriages to partners who weren't good matches for us sexually. Um, My first husband couldn't even say the word fuck, and sex was pretty silent and missionary. I wasn't particularly attracted to him when I married him, but I didn't think that sex was important for marriage. Of course, that ended, and I'm now with somebody who's allowed me to discover my sexual self, and I've done that for him. So in the course of our time together, we've experimented with bondage and sex toys, and he loves it when I use a butt plug on him, something that neither of us ever thought we would do. Um, I can masturbate in front of him. We watch porn together. And finally, we can talk about our dirty fantasies. And one of my biggest fantasies that I love to talk about and he loves to talk about is me being with another woman. Um, He absolutely loves it. So do I. It really makes me get off. So what's the problem? Um, He wants to talk to turn to action as a gift to me. He's found a terrific sex provider who we've been communicating with um, by email. She's bright, funny, professional, beautiful, highly vetted, um, very well-reviewed, and very expensive, as she should be. Um, He's making plans to take a vacation to meet up with her, and he's going to now be sending her the required donation for her time. Um, I didn't really, honestly, didn't think it would progress this far. Um, I've been so enjoying everything up to this point and all this experimentation, um, but I didn't think that this was going to happen. Um, I want to be clear that he is not pushing me. Um, This is a gift that he wants to give me. Um, He says that we can go there, meet her, have dinner, and if nothing happens, it's perfectly fine for him. Um, he's adamant that I'm in charge, and um, and I I don't feel that he's making me do this. The problem is with me. I'm vacillating between wanting to call it off, but I'm also trying to be open-minded. I'm trying to be GGD. Um, I'm trying not to make a big deal out of it. I mean, is it okay to suspend my fear and reluctance and and give this gift to my husband? You know, it's a, he wants to give me this gift, and I want to give him this gift back. Um, I know he would be over the moon with this, and I might really be into it, too. I mean, I'm doing things I never thought I would. So what's so bad about going through with it um, for someone that I love, who who I owe so much to? I mean, he's given me myriad experiences that I never thought I'd have. And maybe this is just one more. I don't know. Is that good enough? What are you so nervous about? What are you so conflicted about? What are you afraid of? I'm afraid I... I, Several fears. I'm afraid I won't like it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also somewhat hung up. You know, I'm paying somebody for sex. And and 
for as much of an advocate as I am for sex work, I just, I feel weird about it. I feel strange about it. I also, you know, wait, 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 stop there. Let's, let's unpack that. Do you feel strange about it because you feel like you're on some level exploiting this person? Kind of. I, I know that's not correct, especially with this particular person. She's amazing. She's been doing this for years. She's well known. You know, I mean, she's lovely. Um, She's doing sex work of her own free will. It is her. It is her vocation. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. This is this is you what she re- does. And you and, wouldn't regard hiring someone, you know, to redecorate your house who is a decorator I know, as an I know, exploiting. I know as exploitation. And here's somebody You're who right. wants to redecorate your vagina for just a little bit, and it's not exploitation. Right. You're, you're right. sure she hasn't been trafficked? You're, you're sure she's doing this of her own oh, will? Oh, yeah. Because the disconnect Without for some question. people is they don't want to have sex with someone who they worry doesn't really want to be having sex with them. For some people who are pro-sex work, they can't actually hire sex workers themselves because they just feel that disconnect. Like they, you know, you're not yeah. necessarily yeah. wanted or desired by this person. Maybe they're faking it. And for some people, that's a libido killer. But that's not the yeah, problem. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that's not really the problem, though. You know, I, I don't. But I mean, I mean, is it a good enough reason? As you know, my my wonderful husband. This is he's so. He, this is a gift to me that he wants to give me, and I'm and I never thought I ever wanted to live it out. Though I'm not it, sure. It sounds like such a fucked up gift to the magi here because he said he thinks this is a <laughs> gift he's giving to you, and you think you just described it as a gift you could give to him <laughs> being with this person. <laughs> And so you yeah. both need to take a great big step back and say, you know, who is this for and what are we doing? And if this is a mm-hmm. fantasy, you know, you shared with him a fantasy and then he did what I think mm-hmm. a good partner in a long-term relationship that involves yeah. going on sexual adventures together should right. do, which is let's make this happen. I want to help make this happen for you. But if you don't want it to happen, if this is something that you only wanted to, you know, you one of those things that you like to fantasize about but never really were that interested in realizing and we all have fantasies like mm-hmm. that. You should be able to say, I'm not interested in this. That said, you can still go out to dinner with a sexy lady and hang out. That said, how would you feel if this turned into just a regular girl-girl-boy three-way and it wasn't necessarily about you being with a woman but your husband being with two women? I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not hung up about that at all. I mean, I kind of feel like that probably would be what happened. Mm-hmm. So you know, a little like bit it, of then what I'm sensing here is you have performance anxiety. Maybe. You're worried about being in the moment, about your husband sitting there watching you and this woman mm-hmm. together in bed, right. and you being like, you know what, being nose to clit with someone isn't what as sexy as I thought it would be. Actually, I'm kind of mm-hmm. not into this, and disappointing your husband and making this woman feel bad right. as if she failed. Right, right. So yeah, like to, what if what if I just don't? Yeah. So you need to take the right. pressure off yourself. You need to go to your husband and say, maybe it'll just be a makeout session. Maybe it'll be a three-way and you will be the star and we will be pivoting around you as people often do in heterosexual three-ways where the, the two guys or the two women don't really touch each other much or at all. And it's all about the opposite sex person at the center of it, whoever that person right. is. So you just need right. to give yourself permission to not have to perform a lesbian sex scene for your husband's or your boyfriend's pleasure and to let it be a little bit more improvisational in the moment. And who knows, maybe you'll be the one watching and masturbating from the other side of the room, or maybe it'll just be the two of you on his dick. Who knows? But you just need to 
or maybe nothing will happen. Maybe you and your husband will hang out with this woman. Maybe you guys go out dancing with the time that you've booked with her and you have sort of a sexy flirty night and then you go back to your hotel room, just you and your husband to fuck. And he has to sign off on everything. He has to sign off on whatever happens, happens. Right. He's so like, you, you just write the script. You do whatever you want. And if, and if you decide to do nothing, that is a okay. If you want me to do something, that's okay. If you want me to do nothing, that's okay. I mean, I've absolutely felt no pressure from him. And that was the thing that I really wanted to emphasize when I, when I called, mm-hmm. because I didn't want to sound like he's pushing me into this thing. Cause it was never that. So what are you afraid of then? Why not do this thing? If, if in the end this thing can be, and your husband is fine with it and he means it, can be just having a dinner with an interesting woman with an interesting career and hanging out and having a sort of erotically charged conversation and that's all it has to be, what are you afraid of? Yeah, good point. See, that's, I guess that's what I needed to hear. Because she's such a great person and I, I already tremendously like her and, I'm, and so I'm totally comfortable like meeting her. I just am worried about everything else, but maybe there's really nothing to worry about. She won't be disappointed, I promise you, if in the end this is, as many of my sex worker buddies talk about, some of their dates are just people want to talk, people want to hang out, people want to be seen and and want yeah. some attention paid to them. And it's not necessarily about the sex or maybe it never gets to sex. So she won't be disappointed if you are seriously, if you really believe your husband is being honest when he says he won't be disappointed. I do. Then you need to stop. Yeah raking yourself over the coals about this. This night is for you, whatever you want. Okay. And it's for you, whatever you, and whatever you don't want. It's a sexual adventure. And you know what? You can have a sexual adventure without any sex. True. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Dan Savage. You're amazing. Thank you. I I can, I can, I can totally breathe out now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Breathe out and then enjoy (laughs) You know, I, sex workers are some of the most interesting, fun to hang out with people in the world. They have such great stories. And just getting to go out to dinner with, you know, someone at that end of the sex work spectrum, high end, really expensive. I, I bet you'll have a fascinating conversation, if nothing else. Oh, God. I mean, she's an MBA. I mean, she has, I mean, she is like, so, like, I would so totally dig this person, like, as, as a BFF, you know? Like, if, I mean, I would totally, I just love her. You know, so, you know, that's maybe that's part of what I'm worrying about, too, is that I like her so much. I'm like, I want her to like me, but she's a sex worker, so she's not going to like me. <laughs> I'm going to re-diagnose the problem here again. The only person putting pressure on you in this entire arrangement is you. You're the one putting pressure me. on you. Stop putting pressure on yourself. Relax. Let whatever you want to have happen in the moment happen while, you know, keeping your wits about you, of course. Yeah. yeah. And stop making problems where none exist. If again, your husband or boyfriend, what is he, a husband or boyfriend? I keep saying that. He's my husband. If your husband again is completely serious when he says it, if you believe him when he says that he has no expectations and there's no pressure Mm. on you, he just wants to create this opportunity for you. Whether you seize the opportunity or not, up to you. Have fun. I'm down. I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, Dan. Hey, Dan, just leaving a comment. I just heard you uh, a little rant on Donald Trump. Um, You know, I hate him as much as you, I'm sure. Uh, But could you please stop calling him orange? Uh, Since when is it okay to to make fun of people uh, based on the color of their skin? It it, kind of makes you sound like a bigot. So please stop doing that.
I am heartily sorry if I have offended the Oompa Loompa community when I pointed out or made fun of Donald Trump for having orange skin. I'm not making fun of someone for the color of their skin, I think, when I call Donald Trump orange Julius Caesar. Orange is not a natural-ish skin tone. What people are joking about when they talk about orange Donald Trump, and I'm not the only one who points this out, is his vanity and this unnatural shade of bronzer or pancake makeup that that man does not leave the house without first spackling himself with. So we're not making fun of the color of his skin. We're making fun of the color of his toner and the ineptitude of his makeup artist, whoever that person happens to be. I'm not mocking him for the color of his skin. I am mocking him for the content of his character and the color of his skin really tells us something not his skin color, the color he is slathering onto his face, covering his skin, tells us something about his character, about his vanity, about his insecurities. Hi, um, I'm calling in regards to the type 1 diabetic who was concerned that insulin was making his semen taste bad. I can assure you as a type 1 diabetic myself, as someone who's dating a type 1 diabetic who was given birth to by a type 1 diabetic, your insulin is not the problem. Insulin is a hormone that everyone's body naturally makes. And yes, the insulin you're taking is synthetic and lab-made, but the taste of your cum really is going to be depending on your diet, not on your insulin. Hello, Dan. I'm calling about episode 534, where you spoke to a lady who was talking about a man who had zero libido over the winter months, and you mentioned the seasonal affective disorder. I was quite surprised that you didn't suggest that this man get treatment for it. Uh, there are effective treatments such as light therapy and also the atypical antidepressant bupropion, which can both help with uh, this disorder and improve libido. Hey, Dan, long-time listener, uh, first-time caller, and I just wanted to share an idea with those of you who are in the same boat as me. If you have Christian conservative relatives who supported the unmentionable sun-kissed nightmare, and if you have kids, this is a great thing to do. I've been talking to my more ardent relatives who like him, asking them, how do I explain golden showers to my seven-year-old? And also, my seven-year-old is asking what grab him by the pussy means, and I'm just wondering the most uh, Christian moral way of conveying this information. He hasn't really asked those questions, but I'm sure having fun with my relatives on this one. Before we leave it there, we want to mention that it looks like we got punked. Mother slit in German is not a German expression for women's genitalia. But you know what? Maybe it should be. So we don't feel that bad about floating it. All right. That's where we're going to leave it. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Erica Moen on Twitter at Erica. That's Erica with a K. Moen, M-O-E. And you can also follow OjoySextoy on Twitter at OjoySextoy. Be sure to read Savage Love, my syndicated weekly sex advice column in the Washington City paper and other papers all across the country. Also, I'm going to be speaking at the Wilbur Theater in Boston tomorrow, Wednesday, January 25th. Please come out and see me. Rachel Lark will be joining me to sing songs. We're going to have a great time at the Wilbur Theater in Boston. Please join us. And be 
sure to check me out on Blabbermouth, the Strangers Weekly Politics Podcast. Find it on iTunes and anywhere else to get more podcasts. Savage Lovecast and Blabbermouth, both produced by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk, you and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 